Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. My guest this week is a 17-year-old racer from Oregon who recently made his 410 sprint car debut at the Wild Wing Shootout in Arizona. It's wild to think that even at 17, Tanner Holmes already has 11 years experience behind the wheel between outlaw carts and sprint cars, and that he's been successful at all levels. He joins me this week to talk about becoming the winningest driver in the history of Red Bluff Outlaws in California, getting sprint car experience on the West Coast, making his 410 debut against drivers like Donnie Schatz and Tony Stewart, and growing his popular YouTube channel to more than 40,000 subscribers. This was a fun one for me as me and Tanner are actually from the same town in Oregon, so without Without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Tanner Holmes. You just became the winningest race car driver at Red Bluff Outlaws, which, you know, you picked up your 41st win. What was that like? That was incredible. Uh, for anybody watching that doesn't know about the Red Bluff Outlaws, it's a small outlaw cart track located in Northern California, specifically Red Bluff. And that's kind of the birthplace of outlaw carts, the form of racing that I grew up doing. Uh, we started running there in 2010, but specifically that place has been around since the 1980s. So like I said, the birthplace of outlaw carts, that's where QRC get, uh, got started, which is the type of cart that I drive. And uh, that place just means a lot to me. And I'm sure we'll kind of get more into it in the interview of just uh, that's where uh, racing and my interest for it got started. So always fun to run there. We've actually been competing there for the last 11 seasons since 2010. I haven't missed a race. So fortunate enough, we picked up 40, uh, 41 victories and uh, got that done just a couple weeks ago. So super cool to be at the, the top of that uh, list and hopefully we can just continue to add to it. It's wild to think that as young as you are, that you've been racing for 11 years at this point. Like when you like look back over, I mean, like as young as you still are, do you feel like a veteran at this point? In a way, I guess in the outlaw cart ranks, I guess you could say I, I am or, you know, just because we've been doing it so long. But now moving into sprint cars, it's just such a new ball game. So I'm just a student of uh, learning from guys that have been doing it, you know, not just 11 years, but 20, 30, even I guess 40 years um, in the sprint car. But the outlaw cart stuff, it, it's super fun. Like we touched on, been doing it for 11 years. And it's just something that even though we have done it so much and, and race so often, you know, we still learn stuff every single time we're at the track. And I think that's something also so just for a lot of young kids coming up, you know, now we have the chance to race so often and compete, you know, every single Saturday throughout the year where I think maybe 10 or 15 years ago, that wasn't available. So these next class of drivers as the years go on are only going to be better and better, I guess, at a young age. I'm curious because, you know, one of the big reasons I want to have you on the show is me and you are literally from the same town in, in Southern Oregon, Medford. And when I was a kid, like the first races I ever went to as a kid were at the old Medford Speedway, which hasn't existed for a very long time. And, but I'm wondering, like, you know, once I got older, like the paved stuff was more, you know, like kind of what we were into in NASCAR and, and, you know, we used to go to Northwest tour races and things like that. But how did you get into dirt racing? Like, you know, you know, was it Southern Oregon Speedway or, you know, what kind of piqued your interest when you were younger to get into dirt racing? Yeah, the Southern Oregon Speedway for me is kind of what did pique that interest. Uh, my dad was never a racer. He was a NASCAR fan, which I guess is something that, you know, it's general. You know, he'd went to a couple of NASCAR races, but never really was involved with dirt racing. And my mom had no racing background at all. And then I guess when I was about five, six years old, uh, through my dad's company, he was actually doing some work with the guy and his friend and him. 
Uh, you know, the guy happened to have an outlaw cart for sale. And, you know, that racing interest, like I said, was there in the back of his mind just from NASCAR, but we didn't know anything about Southern Oregon Speedway or even Red Bluff, just a couple hours south of us, even though it was so big at the time. And we got the cart, got started. And, you know, we went to one race and you meet a couple of friends and you meet more friends and it just kind of, you know, snowballs into what it is today, where we travel to different tracks. Uh, in race, you know, on a weekly basis, but the Southern Oregon Speedway and specifically the little track there where they ran the outlaw carts, which isn't really around today. They're trying to rebuild it, but uh, you know, that, and then going to the big track on Saturday night to watch like ASCS uh, regional races or, you know, traveling a little bit in California to like silver dollar and watch some outlaw shows. Uh, that's really where it got started. And then from there, you know, like I said, just through the years, you, you start racing more and more. What do you like about the the kind of outlaw cart platform as as you're kind of learning and coming up and, and you've been kind of making this transition into sprint car racing? Like what can you take from outlaw carts into sprint cars? I think one thing that helps the most from outlaw carts is how fast everything happens. I mean, the power to rate ratio is pretty similar to a 410 sprint car. They're small, they accelerate quick. And like I said, everything just happens so fast. So you kind of get used to that, that pace of racing. Uh, I just recently ran my first 410 sprint car race down in Arizona. And even being on a big track like that, like the Arizona Speedway was, it almost gave me a feeling of what it was like to be in an outlaw cart because things happen so fast. And so it almost uh, felt normal in a way. So outlaw carts and another benefit of them is they're just so competitive you know you're not racing against four cars on a weekly basis you know the red bluff outlaws this year has been averaging 200 carts across six divisions so whether you're getting started at five six seven years old or you know you're 30 years old just looking to have a good time there's a competitive class for you to go out and have fun and still get that adrenaline rush and be up to speed and and not just i guess you know cruising around a little racetrack Tell me about your kind of progression in outlaw carts you know, you're running at Southern Oregon Speedway. Like how long did it take before you guys started traveling? And, you know, like obviously Red Bluff is, you know, what, three hours kind of south of where you are. You know, what was your first trip down there? Like, you know, what was kind of that thought process as you guys kind of branch out? Yeah. So we started running at Southern Oregon in 2009, 2010 and quickly, you know, we, we got up to speed. I think I won my first race at the end of my first season, but of course, just like any young kid, you know, first time out there, I was just pedaling around getting lapped and, you know, maybe getting a couple incidents, but race there for a year or two. And then I actually started traveling north of us to a track known as Roseburg, which that's about an hour up I-5. So we ran there a little bit and we actually ended up winning some races. And so just like any young kid, when you get started, you know, you kind of have high hopes. And especially when you start winning races, you know, you, you get pretty confident. So we had heard about the Red Bluff Outlaws and the competition down there. So we knew in order to be a good racer, you got to race with the best possible. And I think it was uh, the end of the 2010 season, the Red Bluff Outlaws has this big race known as the West Coast Nationals, which is where usually even more cars show up, more money on the line. And we went down there, you know, with a lot of confidence because we had spanked everyone in Oregon in the beginner box division, you know, the first division you can run. And I ended up not making out of the lowest main. I wrecked a bunch and I just, I, I wasn't really it. So uh, we quickly realized that, you know, in order to be the best, we have to race down there. And that's where our transition to the Red Bluff Outlaws kind of started. And there's a couple other tracks we would run during the summertime to keep those skills sharp. But Red Bluff was the main one that we always ran on a full-time basis to, you know, race against that competition level. When you kind of start getting a little bit older and you kind of under, you know, you start understanding, you know, what you're doing and, and you start to think about where you want to go, you know, when was that first kind of time that you thought about getting in a sprint car? You know, what was those conversations like with your family about what was next? 
I think that goes back to the, the Southern Oregon Speedway. Like I mentioned, we had watched a, a bunch of ASCS shows there or one of the big events was like Speed Week would come through Oregon. And one of the first stops was right there at the Southern Oregon Speedway. So immediately I had my eyes focused on that. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of other divisions. We would watch street stocks, modifieds, late models, and, and those were all really cool. But just uh, there, there's not a lot of things, I guess, that can compare to a sprint car. And another thing, I guess, that added to that is not only would we watch the races, but after the races, you know, we go into the pits. You know, there'd be a lot of the top name drivers along the West Coast. It's funny, even in my closet still today, I have hero cards from Rico Abreu, uh, Tim Kading, Bud Kading, and a lot of guys that would just come through the area uh, during that time of year. And, and, you know, maybe you get a chance to sit in someone's car or, or sit at their trailer for a second and talk with them at just a young age. And uh, that all just build it up, built up to, you know, uh, wanting to get started in sprint cars. And another thing is here in Oregon, we got a great starter class known as the limited division. So it's a little bit more affordable to kind of get going. And also the class is fairly large, 20 to 30 sprint cars on a normal night, and you can run at five or six different tracks. So that made it a little bit easier as well, transitioning from an outlaw car to a sprint car and not having all that horsepower, I guess, right out of the gate. Is that like a 305 class? Yeah, it's like our 305 class here. It's a little bit different of an engine package, but it makes about 550 to 600 horsepower. And uh, like I said, that's just a great way to, you know, get a little bit of speed out of the gate, but you're not right into a 360 and you're, you're definitely not even close to a 410. So when did you first get in a sprint car then? So I think my first year was a 20 set. Let's, I think at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018, I just got to run a couple races. And my first one was at the Southern Oregon Speedway, which was cool because it was my home track. And I even got to actually do a little practice session before, uh, I think the Wednesday before the Saturday show. And uh, there was like 12 cars, just got to go out there and, and get on the gas a little bit. And fortunate enough, we're able to figure out, figure out some things with the setup because we did have a crew chief uh, to help us out at the beginning. And so it was more just on myself as a driver to figure things out. So I think my first year I ran about four races because it was right at the end of the season. And then I took on my first full year where we probably did about 30 shows and then even transitioned that year into a couple 360 races, which we got to run that Oregon speed week, which is what I grew up watching as a kid. And that was uh, that's where I got to run my first 360 races. What tracks are you going to Willamette? I'm guessing, I mean, are you traveling up to Washington at all? Like what, where all are you going? Yeah. So Southern Oregon speedway was a main one, uh, cottage Grove, which cottage Grove runs a lot. Now, uh, they're probably the most popular track in Oregon. We would also go over to Coos Bay, which is right on the Oregon coast. And then uh, Willamette right up the road from uh, Cottage Grove. We even did a couple races, if you know, Banks, uh, Sunset mm -hmm. Speedway Park, which is like a really small bullring. Uh, so that was unique because that kind of reminded me of my outlaw cart days, just really door to door. You know, you're not even really full throttle at a lot of points on the track. And then uh, towards just a couple recent years um, and really getting transitioned into the 360, we started running Skagit up in Washington and then ran Grace Harbor, uh, the other track in Washington. So that's what a lot of our local scene looks like. But uh, especially recently, we've tried to travel a little bit out of that to, you know, see higher competition levels. Have you gone to California at all? Uh, we have. Well, we ran one race down there um, for, for the first night of Oregon Speed Week, but we haven't got the chance to go down there. Uh, I think here to start the season, though, we're going to, uh, especially with Oregon and Washington, uh, because of just everything going on in the world, you know, it, it, the, the racing scene here is kind of undetermined. It's uh, definitely a week by week thing where California is starting to figure some things out. In terms of your, you know, once you get into sprint cars and start progressing, how big of a jump is it then to go from the limited sprint car then to a 360? 
the the limited actually it made it easier in my opinion if i would have just hopped right in a 360 especially being young you know 14 transitioning to 15 you're still, you know, you're maturing and you, and you learned a lot of things in outlaw carts, but that's a big vehicle and a lot of horsepower to have even in the limited division. So transitioning from the limited to the 360, it actually just made it easier. And it felt just like a little bit more horsepower and you could actually do a couple different things with the race car. One thing about the limited, since they don't have that power, you know, you can only run certain lines on the track. Maybe for example, at a place like Willamette or Cottage Grove, it's hard to make the top side work because you can't carry as much momentum. And it's just a lot about being straight and knowing what your car can do. So once you get in the 360, it drives a little bit easier, but then you're going up against, you know, a lot more top tier guys and bigger money teams. So it's been a lot of fun though, to get to run the 360 and now even uh, get, get to be behind the wheel of a 410 a little bit. And that's kind of what we're hoping to do more in 2021. How are you kind of deciding your schedule now? Like, are you still running? I, you know, I know you, you obviously have been running Red Bluff here recently. Like, is that something you do where you kind of mix in throughout the year where you're doing outlaw cart stuff plus the sprint car stuff? Yeah. So I have a younger sister and she's very interested in racing as well, Carly. And she's a big part of like stuff we do in the YouTube videos and has been racing um, just a couple of years less than me because she's three years younger. But we do do some outlaw cart stuff in in the summertime. Uh, Red Bluff doesn't run. There's a track known as Cycleland, which is kind of like the other really popular outlaw cart track in Northern California. So we still mix in a little bit of cart stuff um, on weekends where it's convenient just so she can race. Now that she's kind of gotten old, old enough to run the limited, she's going to be doing that as well. So we're going to just try to mix in as many shows there as possible. And, and we're trying to get a set up to where we can kind of maybe both race at, you know, uh, a track where maybe they're both running the limited and the 360 on, on the same night. But so for us planning a schedule uh, right now, we're just trying to, well, we know we kind of have to travel this year, but just wherever we can race close to home, do that and then try to plan bigger trips on certain parts of the year. Like maybe uh, last year, for example, in August, we went and ran ASCS Speed Week, which was through uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, Arkansas. So anytime when we can hit a lot of shows, you know, out of town, we're definitely going to try to do that. How has it been with your sister? Like, uh, you know, I'm curious, like, are you able to kind of help bring her along faster? Like, you know, obviously you didn't have someone like yourself, maybe necessarily to lean on when you were learning, but now that she has you, is she coming along pretty quickly? Yeah, she is. I think it, it definitely helps. I, I wish I would have had someone in my ear that would have already done it before. Uh, I think that, you know, that just makes the progression that much faster, but she just really enjoys racing. I, I've talked to her a little bit. I don't really know what her, her end goals are. Uh, I think she just really enjoys doing it at this time. And obviously being a female in the sport, there's uh, so many opportunities there. So I, I just keep uh, preaching to her to work hard and, you know, figure out your craft. And, and I think this year, especially getting to do more limited races, she only has done one and that was her, uh, her first race, which actually ended up being kind of a big deal for our team and, and posting that video on the channel. You know, a lot of people love Carly and uh, she's a big character in my videos. So we're definitely going to prioritize her racing a lot this year and uh, just see how we can make the schedule work to where we can both maybe be in different places at once. Is it nervous? I mean, do you get nervous like watching her race? Yeah, I actually do. It's funny. I don't, I get nervous myself racing, but the, I get way more nervous when I watch her and it, it's weird. Only it's only usually when I feel like she, you know, she should be winning the race or, you know, she's in a good spot to make something happen. It's always like when you're in the car, you know, you're just racing, you're not thinking about any of that, but being in the stands, sometimes I, sometimes I can't even watch. And I hate to say that, but <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it's tough. So I've, I've gotten better and better with it as we go along. Are you guys competitive? 
Uh, we are we are pretty competitive, and, and it's been helpful that we haven't been in the same division uh, for the most part because she's three years younger than me. So we're kind of like at the point where like once I move up, she's at the point to move into the class that I'm going into. But now we're at the age where like in outlaw carts, there's the open division, which is 13, 14, 15-year-olds up. And so she's been racing with me. And over this winter, we had a couple of races, uh, a couple of races up here in Oregon that we ran together and it definitely got competitive. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the car ride home isn't the greatest, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure that'll happen more and more as we race in the same division. How was it getting out and getting a chance to go run with ASCS and, and do, you know, kind of a swing like you were able to do? Is it, you know, can you feel how much different or, or you know, higher the competition level is when you kind of get into a pool of drivers like that? Absolutely. Yeah, it was really nice to get to do that. We had got to run a couple national races when they do their swing through Washington for the Fred Brownfield Classic and the Dirt Cup. So we got a chance to run with them. And one of the nights we had a ton of speed. So we knew ASCS Speed Week and especially with how 2020 was going, uh, our racing scene here was so undetermined. We didn't know where we were running until, you know, Thursday, Friday and races were being announced. So going back and doing that, I think it helped a ton. And especially for building confidence, but also it can tear you down because the first couple of nights of the week, like I went on one of my first half miles back there, the Lakeside Speedway in Kansas, and the place was beautiful. Such a smooth track, wide, slick, everything I love to see. And we actually ran like seventh out of like 40 cars. So that was super cool. And, and so it kind of builds your confidence. And we had a couple more good nights. But then, uh, you know, towards the end of the week, we started to struggle as we got into Arkansas. So once you, you know, once you're racing with guys like that, it can be, a, you know, benefit. It also cannot be. But uh, for the most part, you know, that made us so much better because when we came back home to finish off the season, uh, we were we were flawless. We were really fast. How do you, uh, you know, I would imagine you're still doing school. How do you kind of mix in school with all of your racing? Fortunate enough, I actually just recently graduated. So okay. I'm 17, uh, but I was in a program to where I could kind of do some college stuff, uh, which therefore helped me graduate sooner. So I just graduated at the end of December. But uh, for, you know, for the last couple of years, I was doing that. And it was difficult. Uh, school was something that I never really like enjoyed. So it made it a little bit tougher. And then uh, I I'm just glad I'm out of it now, especially with still like here on the West Coast. Uh, I know a lot of kids are my friends and in, in racing, you know, they're, they're doing it all virtually here online. And I can only, I can only imagine what that was. So I kind of got out of it at a good time. And now I'm really just focused, um, you know, focused towards racing. Uh, I, I want to ask you about that kind of wild wing shootout weekend at Arizona, but what was your first chance to get in a 410? I, I feel like I saw one of your videos where maybe you had like done some testing or some practice ahead of time. Uh, just that first night at the wild okay. wing shootout. So they had a practice night and, and that, that helped a ton. So we got some good laps there. And I actually, I was really nervous going into the weekend because all my friends that had ran three sixties at, at the Arizona speedway talked about how fast it was. Uh, fortunate enough, I'd been on a, a half mile or two before. So, uh, something a little bit bigger than that, but not being in a 410, it overall just made me real nervous, but I think that was a good place to get my first laps because the track's really wide, really slick. You can move around and you can kind of do your own thing. And as the, as the weekend went on, uh, we had a couple of problems, but overall we're able to kind of get it all figured out. And the first night was more just, you know, figure out how to race at the pace that these guys were, because even though there was only 24, 25 cars, I would say, you know, 20 of them were, were pretty good guys. So had some outlaw guys there, some local California guys. And uh, overall, you know, like I said, just work it, working on racing at that pace. And as the weekend uh, went on, just get better and better and, you know, try to keep our car in one piece. How are the, uh, the nerves when you kind of roll out on the track the first time and you're looking around at guys like Donnie Schatz and Tony Stewart and Tim Kading and some of those guys that were there? 
it's incredible. It really is in a way it's a, a dream come true because things like for me, especially lately, they kind of happen so fast because, you know, I went from not really running a whole or not running a whole lot out of, out of the Pacific Northwest, you know, doing a little bit of ASCS stuff. And we also went back for the, the Hawk at McMillan Memorial in uh, Wheatland. But other than that, you know, I was just, I guess, you know, a Skagit Southern Oregon Cottage Grove local guy. And then we went down and ran Arizona with all these, you know, bigger names It it definitely was a huge transition, but even in just those three days, you know, you notice a, a huge difference in driving style and progression that I think now, once we start to get back up and going, uh, we're going to see some of those things that I learned in just those short days, really carry on to the 360 program. You were like really respectable those first couple of nights. And, and I'm wondering like what your kind of goals were, you know, were, were you hoping to just finish races Were you know, were you trying to be, you know, like you like, I'm going to go finish top 10. Like, you know, what were you kind of thinking going into that? I just really wanted to work on, you know, keeping my car in one piece and, and figuring things out. You know, I think obviously you want to see results, but in our first weekend, for me, it was more important just to kind of get through it and take it all in. Uh, and especially like towards the third night, there was little things that I got to work on. Like I really got up, um, you know, racing against a little bit of a cushion and right on the wall. And then also figuring out, you know, just what kind of moves you can make. You know, I think I was running anywhere from like 12th to 15th, but you can figure out how to throw slide jobs, how to run different lines and just what the car is going to do with all that power. So for me, the biggest thing going into the weekend was just figure it out quickly. And then, you know, try to use that into any more 410 races we're going to be going into, into 2021. Uh, you know, the, the, one of the things that always kind of interests me about drivers is like their prep, like, and I, you know, are you a workout guy? Are you, are you watching a ton of videos? Like, what do you try to do to get ready, especially for, you know, your first opportunity in a 410? Going into a new track, the biggest thing is watching footage. You try to see uh, any recent races there, even if it's not a 410, even if it's a 360 race, modified late model, uh, just get any look at the track beforehand. You know, it's nice to see what lines develop and what people have done in the past. So we definitely did that going into the Arizona Speedway. I do try to keep my fitness up. Uh, that's one thing I especially tried to work on during the off season, just a lot of running and uh, just anything working out, lifting weights. And the biggest thing for that is, you know, in sprint cars compared to outlaw carts, outlaw carts have uh, quite a few more yellows. So, you know, maybe you get a break here and there, but one of the biggest things transitioning into the sprint car is, you know, you see 25, 30 lap green flag runs and depending on track conditions that can get a little tiring. So definitely try to do that. And then uh, one thing that even helps me as of lately is just, you know, creating my YouTube videos. That's one thing at the track that actually takes my mind a little bit off of, you know, the races, or if it's a big scenario like Arizona and kind of keeps everything more fun. So just once I hop in the seat, it's kind of, kind of go time. Yeah. I would, I would assume that a lot of people that are going to probably end up watching or listening to this have, have heard about you because of the YouTube channel. And, you know, at this point you're what North of 40,000 subscribers, you got a pretty yeah. sizable following there. And, and I'm wondering like, why did you start the channel in the first place? Did you think it would get as big as it's gotten at this point? It was actually an idea that my mom came up with. And the biggest thing was just, you know, as the years go on racing, it's so hard to get noticed. And uh, I've always, always wanted to, I think that's actually what a lot of kids want to do nowadays. They want to create YouTube videos. It's became so popular. So when I started back in 2016, uh, my idea behind it was actually, you know, I played a unique sport. Maybe it was something that people would find in interesting and could follow along with me like a TV show. And so we just started doing it. And, you know, it, obviously it starts out rough. You're just figuring things out. But then over time, which, you know, through the last four and a half, five years, it's kind of just been a process of, you know, learning, researching, uh, what can you do to make your stuff better? 
but overall it's definitely helped my name get out there. And I guess it was something that at the time when I started, not a lot of people were doing. And now I think as we get going, more people are kind of maybe trying to video their races or vlog or whatever you want to use the term for. And it's just been something that's been really fun. Do you have like a certain type of video you like making? Like, I know you guys kind of do all kinds of different stuff and and I, I want to talk about the podcast too, but, but you guys kind of have all kinds of different videos. Is there something you enjoy more than the other? Uh, the biggest thing is just race, race day videos. Those are the, the easiest to make. And usually I might have one person helping me or it's just by myself, but I, you kind of, I've gotten in a really good routine where I kind of know what I'm looking for. Uh, maybe I have five or six different types of ways to start a video, whether it's like a montage or it's by the track or something. And so I've kind of gotten comfortable in that aspect. And it, it's just been a lot of fun to evolve the content. And, and like I said earlier, researching, trying to get better and get different angles or, or whatnot. And uh, especially since I've had help, for example, down in Arizona, I had a good friend, uh, Bennett. He was able to go in the infield and get the shots of the cars going by and slow-mo sh- uh, shots and stuff like that. So it's just fun to elevate the content and try to continue to make it better. In terms of your, like, you know, the kind of groundwork and, and the grunt work behind the YouTube channel, like, are you editing the videos or, you know, I, I know you're shooting a lot of it, but like, you know, what kind of a camera equipment are we talking about here? What kind of software do you use? Like, and are you doing a lot of that work? Yeah, I pretty much, I pretty much do everything. Anything that's posted on my social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that's all me. Uh, all my YouTube videos are filmed and edited by myself, unless it's like a shot of me getting in the car or, you know, something on track. But other than that, it's pretty much me holding a camera. I just have like a big DSLR. It's pretty nice of uh, vlogging setup. And then I just edit all my stuff on my MacBook Pro. So I, I got a nice little setup as far as, you know, making and producing the videos. But uh, I, I really do enjoy doing it all myself. That's pretty much now, even though I'm just fresh out of high school, I've been able to get it to the point where I'm able to make a little bit of revenue. So it's pretty much my full-time thing as of right now, as I'm just trying to build it through different ways of, you know, posting on YouTube. We also have a merchandise, which does fairly well at the track and on our website and just uh, trying to, I guess, you know, build, even though it is small, build my small business, uh, you know, through what I do race in racing. How do you think your YouTube channel and your YouTube following has affected your racing? Like, are you able to do a better job getting sponsors? You know, you mentioned merch there. Like, how does that kind of affect what you end up doing on the racetrack and and with your equipment? Yeah, I think it it definitely helps uh, with the sponsors because they really enjoy, you know, being a part and being branded with uh, the YouTube channel or anything else we're doing, like the podcast and stuff like that. And that's something I'm definitely continuing to try to build, uh, you know, make it brand, it is brand friendly, but continue to try to bring brands in uh, that, you know, want to work with us or or be on the car. And uh, I guess one, one downside maybe is now that I do post all my stuff, you know, my competitors can go and watch, like if I have a good night, you know, they can go and watch and see what I did right or wrong, but that's just part of the game and, and stuff. So we just try to do, you know, different uh, types of unique content. And it's a little bit tougher during the off season because things, you know, a lot less things are going on. I'm sure you've experienced too. You just try to find things to talk about and, you know, bring up to, to keep your audience in check. But once racing season really ramps up, it, it makes my job a lot easier because we're always doing something, whether it's at the track, uh, now this year, we're even trying to get, we have a backyard track that we built, uh, that we're trying to run on a little bit. People enjoy and, uh, shop videos, anything that, uh, revolves around what we're doing or what we're, we're, what race we're headed to, uh, people seem to really enjoy. So anything we can do to just bring our audience in, it's going to be really exciting for this year. What are some YouTube channels that you like, you know, is, is there something that, you know, at least in the early days you tried to emulate or, you know, are there ones you particularly enjoy that maybe even aren't racing ones that maybe are other sports or entertainment people? Yeah. So that's actually was what really inspired me to get started is I didn't 
I don't really watch uh, a whole lot of racing stuff on YouTube besides like highlights from World of Outlaws or, or any other series. But uh, when I first got started in 2016, one of the reasons why I thought my channel could have potential is because there was two other people. And actually, it's funny, their names were Tanner. Uh, one of them was a, a scooter rider. And his stuff blew up because he did, you know, a unique sport of scooter riding. And another one was like a tramp trampoline gymnast. And that wasn't stuff that I was interested in before. But once I started watching their videos, I kind of got hooked on like learning about the sport and how cool it was and the action pack. Uh, so I was like, you know, I feel if I did something with racing, you know, something I already love to do, we race so much, you know, there would always be some sort of content to post, then maybe people would enjoy what I do. So that's kind of the theory behind it. And then uh, for the most part as well, I just, I watch a lot of um, YouTubers and podcasts and stuff, not a lot of things that revolve around racing, but uh, I usually try to watch what top guys are doing to see if you can, you know, obviously, you know, pick it apart and uh, use it to make your stuff better. One of the neat things that kind of came out of that wild wing shootout weekend was you got to do an all access piece with flow racing, which is super funny, right? Because you've got the flow racing cameras pointed at you and your cameras pointed at them. So you kind of got yeah. to see both sides of it, but how much fun was that? That was, that was really neat. I know kind of going into it, they said, Hey, there might be a, a chance that you're going to get to do a flow all access, which I thought was cool. And it even gave me the idea. I think something I'm going to try to incorporate in some of my future videos is, you know, try to get some sort of mic set up that maybe when I am just walking around or in the pits, uh, I thought that was neat how they could just pick up conversations that are happening. That really adds to, you know, what is going on during the night, you know, whether it's right coming off the track, talking about what the car did and how it reacted or just, uh, you know, like pre-race stuff, um, you know, maybe climbing in or just in the trailer. So that was an awesome experience. And I really hope I can do uh, do one again. Tell me about starting the podcast. I know you guys are what, eight or nine episodes in, I think at yeah. this point, why do that? And, and, you know, tell me about some of the guests you've had at this point. I saw Rico was on there. Yeah. So we started a podcast known as off the track myself and my good friend Bennett. And the biggest thing uh, around starting that is uh, just with everything I've been trying to do on social media, I'm trying to hit different areas, obviously having a YouTube channel that gives some sort of long form or long form content in the form of eight to 15 minute videos. And then also I obviously have some of my other stuff on socials, Facebook, you know, you post highlight stuff, uh, race recaps. So people that enjoy to watch that, but I didn't have anything where maybe if someone, you know, was driving to the next track or maybe if they were in a car ride, you know, they could listen to me talk for an hour about a certain topic or interview a guest. And I felt like with how popular podcasts have been becoming, it was just something that was a must. So I had some help from a few people to get a good little setup. And now we have like a little studio room uh, and, and just starting that has been so much fun. And it's been a new like creative outlet to try, you know, over the last four years, the YouTube thing, even though we're still working on making it better, it has become comfortable and a podcast for me was not the most comfortable thing, you know, reaching out to guests, getting them on, and then also interviewing them with good questions. So it, it has been a little bit difficult and we've had uh, some, some good episodes and we've had some times when maybe you reshoot things and, and stuff like that. But we had a, uh, my first guest that we had on was my younger sister because everyone just loves her. So we kind of did that as a trial run. Then we got Rico in over the phone. Um, we had the owner of fast four media, a friend of mine, Kyler Shaw, and then uh, my car owner of QRC, Jimmy Elledge. So we've been doing some episodes with guests. We've also done some episodes just on our own, which is going to be another way to really extend on the vlogs because so much happens in one race day that we can't include it all in, you know, 12 minutes. So uh, the podcast is going to be a great way for us to really expand on a lot of topics.
Yeah, the I, I wanted to ask you about Elledge for sure because you know people that know about the outlaw cart world, you know, will have heard of QRC. And I mean, out here in North Carolina, like there's QRC carts here. Um, and my dad actually worked with Elledge for quite a few years when he was out in the NASCAR world as well. But how important has a guy like him been to your career? And and you know, to be able to run those carts and and out of that place, you know, what like what is the benefit of of being able to almost like be a house car for for a place like QRC? Oh, it's it's huge. It's been so much fun and. Uh, that's been one of the most valuable friendships that I've created uh, through my racing. I met Jimmy in uh, 2014, I think it was. And then uh, he hired me to be a house cart driver in like 2017, 2018 uh, for QRC. And, and that has just been so valuable, uh, not only to have a guy to kind of look up to, ask for advice, whether it even is stuff in outlaw carts or talk to him about stuff that's going on in the sprint car side of things. But he's been involved in so much, whether it's NASCAR, outlaw carts, or a lot of different things in dirt track racing. It's just a good guy to kind of lean on and, uh, you know, a great, a great car owner relationship as well. Uh, I, I am curious about obviously your future, what you want to do. Um, you know, the, the, the path of what's next, like, you know, are you hoping to be a world of outlaws driver? Are you, you know, like, are you hoping to get to NASCAR? Like what are your kind of, you know, the next five, 10 years you hope look like? I think for me, it, the biggest thing is to continue to expand the the YouTube channel and the podcast. I think that's actually my main priority. I feel like that could be a, a pathway for myself to, you know, different opportunities, what, whatever way I want to go. But definitely sprint car racing is is one of the main ones. Uh, work my way, if possible, towards the outlaws or towards the all-stars and just becoming a, a full-time, full-time driver, whether that's in my own stuff with the right funding and sponsorship behind me or, you know, in someone else's equipment, but, uh, any opportunities that get thrown my way, just try to take advantage of them and, and run as far up front and, and whatever it is. What else is out there that you want to race? Do you, you know, have you run a micro, do you want to run a midget? Like what else is out there that you're interested in racing? Yeah, I would love to run a, the Tulsa shootout, something that's always been on my radar. I've never ran a micro and I'm hoping, uh, I've, I've been talking to a couple of different people to maybe make that happen this next year. So a micro, uh, a midget, obviously the chili bowl, that's such a huge event, but anything, like I said, that I, I get the chance to, because not only is it fun to try, but that makes for like a good video. So I'm hoping this year, maybe even like a time or two hop in a modified or a late model or something here in the Pacific Northwest, just to, uh, try different forms of racing out because they all have their, their, their things about them that make them difficult. And, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just fun to try. What, uh, what does your schedule look like this year? You know, obviously you guys run, you know, wild wing, you've done some red bluff stuff. Like what's next? What is, you know, do you have it all mapped out? Or are you just going to kind of see how things go in, in terms of what tracks are open and, and things like that? Yeah, right now we're kind of just, uh, we're figuring things out. I do have a couple of uh, chances to maybe run some stuff in the Midwest, but I can't, I, I don't have any of that necessarily figured out yet. I'm just kind of waiting on certain races and stuff to be finalized. But other than that, you know, I think we're going to focus on running a little bit here to start the year at Oregon, Washington. Um, there's some stuff in Montana. There's an ASCS region, uh, frontier stuff that we'll be able to run. I think we're also maybe going to head down South to California since it seems like they got a couple more races figured out than Oregon and Washington does. Um, and then after that, I think we're definitely going to try to hit the road for a little bit for sections of maybe May and June, where we could run a lot of 360 and 410 races, just trying to figure out, you know, what's going to be the best and where we can hit the most races in the shortest amount of time and maybe not have to travel uh, too far. But I think we're also going to plan to run ASCS Speed Week again. That was super beneficial for us. And it, I think this year it actually is going to be even better because it's before the Knoxville Nationals and maybe that can lead us right into Knoxville. So we're going to play a little bit by year, but we're hoping 
maybe by, you know, maybe the middle of May as Oregon and Washington and stuff, get it together. We'll be able to have a full schedule out. I'm sure that there are probably people around you, you know, whether you see them at the spread car track or, or with the outlaw carts that are probably kind of on similar trajectories that you're on. Um, and, you know, obviously starting the YouTube channel and, and kind of understanding how to market yourself and all that is going to be really, really important going forward. And I'm wondering if you like, it, like, are people approaching you asking you how to do similar things? You know, are you trying to help people understand how important this is? Like, you know, are, are those conversations happening or have those conversations happened with other people? Yeah, I get those messages a lot about, you know, they want to start a channel themselves, And I would encourage people to absolutely do it. And even if it's not a YouTube channel, maybe it's you want to build your racing Facebook page or Twitter or something like that. I think a lot of people don't realize how important it is to, you know, have some form of social media behind you. And especially the, the time we're living in, I think a lot of people just don't realize in general, you know, how lucky we are to have this. I mean, even the fact that we're shooting a podcast and I'm looking at you through my computer, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's literally crazy. So uh, I think just take advantage of, of the opportunity that we all have in front of us uh, with our cell phones, with cameras, and, you know, make some form of content. Like I said, it doesn't have to necessarily be a vlog. It could be some sort of race recap or, you know, even with the podcast, there's a lot less podcasts out there than there is YouTube channels because it just hasn't been around as long. So now's a great time to start that. And uh, that could be definitely something that adds to your race team and, and, you know, brings in an audience that wants to tune in on a weekly basis. If somebody wants to start a YouTube channel, that's a racer like you, do you have like, you know, a couple of tips, like how often to post, what type of videos, like, you know, what are those kind of top line things that you would tell somebody to do? Uh, my first tip would be to get started as soon as you can. Don't waste any time. Uh, but the second thing is just work on kind of being consistent. You know, just like with anything you start, you want to come to your viewers on a regular basis. But at least once or twice a week, I totally understand just starting a racing vlog. You maybe run every Saturday night, you post a video, and that's a, a great way to kind of get your feet wet, get used to being in front of a camera. Because some people have the ability where it's a little bit more natural, but also it, it can be very tough if that's not, you know, if you're not necessarily interested in being in front of a camera. So just be consistent, try different things, and uh, don't be too hard on yourself. It should be something that's super fun, and it's more about about, you know, having fun and, and getting started in it than, than anything else. So uh, YouTube channels are great. It's awesome to have some form of a uh, thing to create on a weekly basis and, uh, you know, reach out to a bunch of different people. I'm wondering, like one of the things like when me and Ross started open red with the outlaws, you know, to go back and kind of hear those first couple of episodes and like kind of how rough we were and, and like then how far you kind of come, you know, over the course of time, like, do you ever go back and watch your old videos? And you're just like, ah, I can't believe I said that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I try not to, you know, like, <laughs> you, I, I'm glad you can relate on that level. But and I'm sure we'll even do that a little bit with uh, with the podcast. The nice thing about the podcast is I'm a little bit older now. So you, and, and, you know, just you mature everything. So I think it's uh, definitely it was a much better start than when I when I did the YouTube channel. But I'm sure, uh, you know, as the years goes on, even uh, videos, you know, two or three years back, not even at the very beginning, you know, I noticed things. I'm like, man, why did I put that in? Or, you know, why is there all this time of me not talking or this GoPro is so boring? Why didn't I cut this out? So uh, there's plenty of things you learn. And, and that's just part of the progression and the fun of all of it. If somebody, uh, you know, kind of along those same lines, if somebody is going to get started with a YouTube channel, like what do you kind of recommend for, you know, that first setup? Like, are there, you know, is there a good kind of cheap camera? Is there a good kind of free or cheap software that they can get started with? Yeah. So uh, honestly, if you have an iPhone, that's a great way just to start vlogging. Honestly, the phone cameras are kind of insane how good they've become. And right on your iPhone, uh, I'm not 100% sure what the software would be for like Android, 
but iPhone, you can edit right on iMovie. I honestly, sometimes I still do edit on iMovie if I need something fast, even on my MacBook or on my phone, just depending on what I shot it on. Uh, but that would be a great way to get started. Or I would just uh, recommend any like cheap uh, point and shoot camera. You can find them two, 300 bucks. And then if you did have a, a little bit bigger budget, some sort of DSLR, because the nice thing about like the camera I have, I can change lenses. And so if I want to have a vlogging lens or I want to have something for more cinematics and go in the infield and get slow motion shots. But, uh, that's, that's something I'm still continuing to try to learn. And, uh, I, I feel like I figured a lot more things out on the video inside, but now I'm working on editing softwares and thumbnails and stuff like that, because that's almost just as important as the content itself. How many GoPros have you killed over the years? I, I've killed quite a few, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and, and one great thing about GoPro is they have, uh, they have nice cases now. And so it usually just destroys the case, but those are still like 50 bucks a piece. So I, I need a GoPro sponsorship bad. Uh, other than that, I have lost a couple. Those are the, those are the saddest. I think at the end of the cottage Grove season, this last year, one flew off my car and we don't know where it went. Like it went somewhere in the bushes and we, we tried to find it, but, uh, that's, that's just part of it. And, and, you know, I've been trying to get better and better GoPros as well. And, and that's important to have that awesome onboard or some sort of footage. Uh, so people can follow along with your race. And, and it's really nice when it's just right there in the cockpit, because it's about as close as it can get. Yeah. Well, like one of my favorite things about Ross and all the video work that he did was he almost had like where he had, uh, the, the drivers would help him. Like if they were under caution, they would reach up and like wipe off oh, the GoPro for him. Yeah, I do that. Yep. Yeah. And then also like the, uh, the, the scavenger hunts and I've, you know, I've heard about the Swindell speed lab guys doing the same thing where it's like, you lose a camera and then like how, how long you go take to try to, to try to find it, whether it's in the track or off the track, you're like, like, do you have like a, a personal best for how long it took you to find a camera that flew off? Uh, I've had, I've had one or the worst is I found remains of one. Uh, you know, you kind of just find the, the scattered parts. Uh, I think that took probably 30, 45 minutes just going up around, uh, that was at cottage Grove as well. But then, like I mentioned, we, we lost the one at cottage Grove and, you know, it it could still be somewhere out there and it just (laughs) sit in there in a case. It's still a good GoPro. That's the sad part. Uh, it just, you know, it just flew off. So uh, I'm sure I'll run into that plenty more times uh, throughout the years. Cool. Well, Tanner, I certainly appreciate the time today. Uh, give me the, give me the plug zone. Where can people find you? Like, where's the YouTube channel? Give me the whole rundown. Yeah. So you can just go to youtube.com slash Tanner Holmes. That's my main channel where I upload all my racing vlogs. And then uh, also we have my Facebook page, just Tanner Holmes, Instagram at Tanner Holmes 18. And that's also my Twitter handle as well. And uh, we try to post as much unique content as possible across all of our platforms. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're looking forward to 2021 and, and, you know, having a really good year. What about the Tanner Holmes merch? You got to mention the merch. Oh yeah, I did it. Yeah. You can go to uh, (laughs) www.tannerholmes.com slash shop all of our new stuff for this year. And we're, you know, that's one thing we're really trying to turn into more than just like one t-shirt here and there. It's more, uh, you know, new stuff dropping every couple months. We're even doing some cool stuff with wing panels, trading cards, uh, even, you know, you can even buy panels that were wrecked off my car and stuff like that. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Nice. Well, Tanner, thanks for the time today, dude. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. In this era of racing, drivers have to be skilled in multiple areas to be successful, and I'm not even talking about behind the wheel. Tanner is a driver of a new generation who understands not only being fast, but also finding ways to grow a fan base and appeal to sponsors. And he's doing it with a wide variety of digital tools at his fingertips. Make sure to follow him on all the social channels and like and subscribe to his YouTube channel. 
You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit dirttracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.